Lovers, welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison. Hello and welcome to Immature History. It's a short little version mm-hmm. of this regular podcast where yes. we, we're going to read some articles. Mine's yeah. from Atlas Obscura, usually yeah. the word Wikipedia. Yeah, we are Wikipedia loyalists yeah. a lot of the time. But what I do guess. you got today? I have Wikipedia. <gasps> okay. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I hope you're ready for this. I'm so ready. Because this is the Wikipedia article entitled... (laughs) I'm not going to be able to get through this already. I know. (laughs) Entitled, Lawsuits Against God. Oh, we've got a theme today. (laughs) I love when that happens. Is it the lawsuit part or is it the God part? Can't wait to find out. Stay tuned, campers. Okay. (laughs) Lawsuits against God have occurred in real life and in fiction. Yeah. You probably don't need to say that it's occurred in fiction. Yeah, we know. We can infer. (laughs) Issues debated in the actions include the problem of evil and harmful, quote unquote, acts of God. Sure. Um, So there's a few examples. I'm only going to read. I'm not going to read the fictional ones because that's... (laughs) Because it's fake. Yeah, this is history. Yeah, we're into facts <laughs> and integrity and in reporting. That's so true. We we only care about facts. We here. only love facts. Okay, the first one. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Uh, Betty Penrose. Mm-hmm. She's that's the name of someone who would try to sue God. Oh yeah. Ugh. Betty is the Karen of, of the 1960s. Yes. In 1969, Arizona lawyer Russell T. Tansy filed a suit against God on behalf of his secretary, Betty Penrose, seeking $100,000 in damages. Okay. But like, (laughs) who's doing the payout? It feels like an enormous waste of time and money. (laughs) It really is. Uh, Penrose blamed God for his quote unquote negligence in allowing a lightning bolt to strike her house. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When God quote failed to turn up in court, Penrose won the case by default. Okay. Okay, Number one, he's busy. (laughs) Like she's, I'm sorry. She's busy. Yeah. Um, and you know, (laughs) what's funny to me is that like, this is clearly, a case for your insurance agent, not for God. Hundred percent. And so, by sue, by trying to sue God, yeah, makes me feel like you either didn't have insurance or you didn't have a good enough policy. Which in in which case, Betty, you're the negligent one. Yeah, Betty, come it's on, a girl. Homeownership one hundred and one. You gotta insure it. You gotta have that insurance. and not the biblical kind because what I find about God's blessings the payouts (laughs) is that they don't come when you want them to or at all sometimes or at all sometimes so sorry Betty sorry Betty and Christians (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the next one is Ernie Chambers okay and it's just funny because this one is a little bit longer and so it has um, a, a whole article that just says See main article, Chambers v. God. <laughs> so funny. I would be so mad if I was a judge and someone was like, I'm here today to sue God. Yeah. I would be okay. like, and case dismissed. Yeah. Um, in the U.S. state of Nebraska, Uh-oh. State Senator Ernie Chambers filed a suit in 2008 
against God. And a state senator. (laughs) In 2008, the internet had been invented. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I was almost done with high school. Uh filed a suit against God seeking a permanent injunction against God's harmful activities as an effort to publicize the issue of public access to the court system. Okay. I mean, weird strategy. All right, Ernie, go off. Uh, The suit was dismissed because God could not be properly notified, not having a fixed address. Yeah, that's tough. Mm -hmm. The judge stated, quote, given that this court finds that there can never be service effectuated on the name uh, on the name defendant, this action will be dismissed with prejudice. I don't know what that means. Okay. Because I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. But, uh, the senator, assuming God to be singular and all-knowing, responded, quote, the court itself acknowledges the existence of God. The consequence of that acknowledgement <laughs> is a recognition of God's omniscience. Since God knows everything, God has notice of this lawsuit. Oh, boy. I mean... Logically, that checks out. That's not that is yeah. yeah, That is a a logically sound Uh argument. Yeah. Nebraska media inaccurately reported that Chambers filed the lawsuit in response to another lawsuit that he considered to be frivolous and inappropriate. Hmm. Chambers clarified that, on the contrary, his intention was to demonstrate that no lawsuit should be considered frivolous. (laughs) Weird way to do that. Yeah, weird way. (laughs) By suing God, he, quote, emphasized that attempts by the legislator legislature to prohibit the filing of any lawsuit would run afoul of the nebraska constitution's guarantee that the doors to the courthouse must be open to everyone well and like what a roundabout way to just ensure your ticket to hell yeah god's (laughs) like all right well fuck Fuck you you. yeah um you're never getting this address baby There's like a picture of him posted behind St. Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, do not let this man do in. Not. He's on the list. <laughs> in response to Chambers' case, two responses were filed. The first was from a Corpus Christi lawyer, Eric Perkins, who wanted to answer the question, quote, what would God say? Uh-huh. I don't understand what any of this is. <laughs> like, why is this happening? The second was filed... Uh, In Douglas County, Nebraska, District Court. The source of the second response claiming to be from God is Uh unclear as no contact information was given. (laughs) I just feel like there's not a lot going on in Nebraska and maybe they're a little too bored. I agree. You know, we should give them some like water parks or um, something. Yeah, more TVs. Oh, they gotta (laughs) get more TVs. On July 30th, 2008, local media sources reported the Douglas County District Court was going to deny Chambers' lawsuit because Chambers had failed to notify the defendant. Mm. However, on August 1st, Chambers was granted a court date of August 5th in order to proceed with his lawsuit. Quote, the scheduling hearing will give me a chance to lay out the facts that would justify granting the motion. Chambers was quoted as saying, he added, once the court enters the injunction, that's as much as I can do. That's as much as I would ask the court. I wouldn't expect them to enforce it. It just like this. This guy seems like the kind of guy who in elementary school is like always trying to like trick the teacher. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. And it's like, give it a rest. Give it a rest, dude. The courts are tired. Everyone's tired. Yeah. The slow, like 
there there are legitimate issues that we need to prosecute right please clear the bench please However, a judge finally did throw out the case, saying the Almighty was not properly served due to his unlisted home address. <laughs> As of November 5th, 2008, Chambers filed an appeal to the Nebraska Supreme Court. The former state senator, John DeCamp, and E.O. Augustson in Sweden asked to represent God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so funny. Uh, Augustson's letters mentioning the Bjorn... Uh, which I guess is the Bjorn Socialist Republic, were stricken as quote-unquote frivolous. The appeals court gave Chambers until February 24th to show that he notified DeCamp and Augustson of his brief, which he did. The case was finally closed on February 25th when the Nebraska Court of Appeals dismissed the appeal and vacated the order of the district court. Wow. The court quoted cases according to which, quote, a court decides real controversies and determines rights actually controverted and does not address or dispose of abstract questions or issues that might arise in hypothetical or fictitious situation or setting. What is court jargon ever saying? Can they just simply use regular English? Please I'm use so regular English. At this point, we know that you're pranking us. Yeah. We know that you're making it purposefully difficult so that we don't know what's going on. Yeah, the on fact in that you have realm. to get a pro- a college degree yeah. to learn your stupid language. Oof, not good. Not good optics. Not good. <laughs> uh, the next one is Pavel M. In 2005, a Romanian prisoner identified as Pavel M., serving 20 years after being convicted of murder, Mm. filed a lawsuit against the Romanian Orthodox Church as God's representatives in Romania. (laughs) This is so petty. For failing to keep him from the devil. Sure. Okay. (laughs) Essentially stating that his baptism had been a binding contract. The suit was dismissed because the defendant, God, was neither an individual nor a company and was therefore not subject to the civil court of law's jurisdiction. I can't believe it took us this long to get to the jurisdiction part. Yeah, the jurisdiction. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of not even here on earth. Yeah. He's definitely not in your country. Yeah, he's slippery. He's hard to get a hold of. (laughs) Very slippery, like an eel. Very (laughs) eel-like. Um. The last one is Chandan Kumar Singh, uh, a lawyer from Bihar, India. He sued the Hindu god Rama for mistreating his wife, the goddess Sita. Yeah. Uh, the court dismissed 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 his case <laughs> held on February 1st, 2016, calling it, quote unquote, impractical. Wow. <laughs> that's very true. It is a little impractical. It is. Um, and that's all of the real ones. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, tune in next week for the Wikipedia article, Lawsuits Against the Devil. (laughs) (laughs) What if that was the one I was about to do? I would absolutely lose That would be so good. (laughs) Wow. I think, um, that's not enough lawsuits against God. (laughs) I think, um, we need to get those numbers up. Yeah, numbers up. (laughs) Um, I have an Atlas Obscura article, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. written by Cara Guillermo, I uh-huh. think. Um, and this is called Moses was tripping and other scientific explanations for biblical miracles. Moses was <laughs> tripping. He was tripping. He was. Um, 
Thomas Jefferson was a great fan of Jesus. The author of the Declaration of Independence called the Son of God, quote, the greatest of all the reformers, a font of eloquence and fine imagination, and the author of a system of the most sublime morality which has ever fallen from the lips of man. Pandering. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> Just really suck it Laying up. Laying it on thick. <laughs> uh, he wrote of him often and tried to keep his teachings in mind. But there was one catch. Jefferson didn't think Jesus was the son of God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Indeed, he didn't believe in miracles at all. Uh, all right. <laughs> so weird, weird, uh, you know, way to believe as a believer. Yeah, yeah. weird. But- Weird theology there. Okay. And uh, so for a couple of evenings in February of 1804, after he had gone through the day's papers and correspondence, the then president kicked back in the White House, pulled out a razor and some glue, and did something out of a congressional Republican's worst nightmare. He cut the parts he didn't like out of the New Testament and Ooh. stuck the parts he did like together again. Okay, Sure. Um, pretty sure that's explicitly warned against. It's explicitly warned against. And, um, spoiler alert, that's happened a lot in history. Yes. <laughs> it just yeah. happened to be Jefferson that we're talking mm-hmm. about this time, but <clears throat> yeah. King James, we're coming for you. I <laughs> uh, know what you did. <laughs> also, the writer of this article did a beautiful job. I absolutely love this. Mm-hmm. I was cracking up earlier. Um, the resulting Franken book, now known as the Jefferson Bible, quote, abstracts what is really Jesus from the rubbish in which it is buried. Jefferson explained 15 years later in a letter to his secretary, William Short. That rubbish included the concept of the Trinity, which he called mere abracadabra. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Immaculate conception, which he predicted would someday be, quote, classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter, and nearly everything else with a hint of hocus pocus. Okay. <clears throat> um, if necessary to include the miraculous, Jefferson would cut the text even in mid-verse. Biography Peter S. Onuf writes in Jeffersonian Legacies. He was a Bible without prophecy, resurrection. His was a Bible without prophecy, resurrection, or infinite loaves and fishes. A Bible where angels feared to tread. It was only 46 pages long. (laughs) So it was just like a story about like some totally normal guy named Jesus. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're getting rid of like, oh, well, I guess it was just the New Testament that he did. I mean, I would think if I'm going to slash up the Bible. Cut out, first of all, cut out all the boring parts. Get rid of Leviticus. We don't need all Leviticus the Leviticus and numbers. Yeah. yeah. The like so-and-so begets uh-huh. so-and-so. I don't need a family tree. Yeah. No. Nope. Cut that out. No. Done. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think there's a lot that you could probably. I think there's some trimming you could do with a lot of the stories to yeah. get to the point. Yeah. Get it to an editor. <laughs> get it to an editor. I think Psalm, little little verbose it's a little bit it's a little wordy yeah it's a little bit uh, we could do that yeah. i think slap some you know ratings onto song of solomon <laughs> make it a little more family friendly yeah this is the bible yeah it's the bible for christ's sake <laughs> um jefferson was not the first faithful rational person perplexed by miracles for as long as the law of scripture has bumped up against the laws of physics Theologians, philosophers, and scientists have looked for ways to reconcile the two. 
But in recent years, some researchers have taken things a step further. Armed with improving technology, a willingness to wade through incompatible fields, and often great personal conviction, they have set out to scientifically explain the definitively inexplicable. As miracles go, the first one, the creation of everything, is a doozy. (laughs) Yeah. As Genesis has it, God hovered over the face of the waters for a scant six days, putting everything (laughs) in place. (laughs) Cosmologists put the number closer to 13.8 billion years. Okay. So a little bit of a... Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Someone (laughs) fudged the numbers. (laughs) It's a rounding error. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Gerald Schroeder, a biblical scholar and decorated nuclear physicist, has dedicated a lot of his career to convincing people that it's actually both. He does this basically by asking what a day is. This is Bill Clinton energy. (laughs) (laughs) If you make room for relativity, uh, Schroeder says, it's possible that time is different for humans than it is from the perspective of the creator. Specifically, it's about a trillion times slower, thanks to Schroeder's interpretation of what he calls the stretching factor in Einstein's equations. Do the rest of the math, and six of these 24 trillion hour days come out to a little over 14 billion years. Problem solved. Great. So you just divide <laughs> you just 14 divide billion, it. divided by six. That and sounds you like it. you got it. Mm-hmm. In case it needs saying, experts in every possible field take issue with this interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) Pointing out, among other things, that relativity could theoretically make any ordinary day on Earth appear to be any length at all. Yes, that is how it works. Mm -hmm. That's its whole thing. That's the whole thing. Uh, Move along further into the Old Testament and you find another showstopper, Moses' parting of the Red Sea, Mm, just in time for the Israelites to cross and escape the Pharaoh's encroaching army. Mm -hmm. This event has captured the imaginations of artists for centuries and filmmakers for decades, but it's only in the past few years that oceanologists have started getting in on it too. In 2010, Carl Drew, a researcher at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, turned Exodus's description of the Red Sea parting into a computer model. He hmm. translated the strong east wind into a high but plausible 63 miles per hour, applied it to a reconstruction of a particular spot in the Nile Delta, and concluded that this could indeed have divided the waters. Wow. Have Pretty you seen that, like... Um, it's like a little comic of a fish, um, wearing a little tie, I think. And it like holding a little briefcase and it's just like Moses is sitting there parting the sea and he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then later it shows the boss like, why were you late? And the fish is like, I swear you're never going to believe this. (laughs) A fish with a job. With a job. (laughs) Being late for work. Oh, I love it. They're just like us. They are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The wind moves the water in a way that's in accordance with physical laws, creating a safe passage with water on two sides and then abruptly allowing the water to rush back in, Drew explained in an NCAR press release. This would have given Moses and his followers about four hours to get across. Other researchers have proposed alternate scenarios, including hurricane-grade winds over a shallow reef, 
or the site of the crossing actually being a reed-clogged lake. Hmm. Another Moses classic, The Burning Bush. <laughs> oh, that's we a good know one. it. We know it. Has been subject to similar treatment. Colin Humphreys, a materials scientist, thinks it was an acacia bush on top of a volcanic vent, while a couple of oil researchers postulate a volatile isoprene cloud, whatever that means. Sure. We all know that. We all know it's what that means. It's the thing that makes bushes burn. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, emitted by a particular herbaceous plant. Others think Moses may have been tripping on a common plant-derived hallucinogenic. Love that one. Love that Love theory. Love that one. Yeah. In 2011, I also think he couldn't have been the only one in the Bible who may have been tripping. Surely. I hope for their sakes. I mean, it was rough back then yeah. in those Old Testament times. I hope that. I hope they were doing drugs. All of them. Please. Yeah. Um, in 2011, three... I mean, it took them 40 years to go like 13 miles. <laughs> so did. I'm going to guess... They were... They the, had smoked so much weed. <laughs> they were like, where are we? That is the most stone thing I have ever heard. <laughs> yeah. It is classic. <laughs> in 2011, three Boston area psychologists decided to take a look at miracles from another perspective. Perhaps they were real, but only to those performing them. Their paper, The Role of Psychotic Disorders in Religious History Considered. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> attempts to retroactively diagnose... Attempts... What? <clears throat> attempts to retroactively diagnose a quartet of renowned miracle makers. I would just think it's diagnosed. Yeah. Okay. Through their lens, Abraham's and Moses's divine orders could have been manifestations of paranoid schizophrenia. Jesus's crucifixion may have been suicide by proxy, and the thorn in St. Paul's flesh was probably epilepsy. I I mean, to me, this feels somewhat plausible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 These findings support the possibility that persons with primary and mood disorder associated psychotic symptoms have had a monumental influence on the shaping of Western civilization, they write, saying that they hope their article will translate into increased compassion and understanding for persons living with mental illness. Mm. Thus far, scientists have been silent on most of the New Testament feats. No nutritionists have tackled the loaves and fishes, and only vintners transform water into wine. A notable excep exception is walking on water, which, according to a team of Israeli scientists, could have been accomplished with some well-placed stones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I, you know, I have questions. But... Yeah, yeah, and same. Yeah. Uh, but as technology improves, this may change. Imagine what epidemiologists could do if they cracked the secret to divine healing. If this trend keeps up, anything that fell prey to Jefferson's razor could be redeemed by Occam's. Beautiful. <laughs> A beautiful final sentence. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, oh. Wow. And that was Sunday school. Wow, you guys. Sunday school. We did it. <laughs> Back to our roots. <laughs> Um, campers, we hope you're feeling blessed and yes. I hope that your cup runneth over. Yeah. And, uh, thank you for joining us in this fellowship. We'll see you next time. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.